0: back listeners on this episode i spoke to editor christopher donaldson about his work on women talking women talking was directed by sarah polly and stars rooney mara claire foy jesse buckley judith ivy ben wishaw and francis mcdormand the film was co-edited by Roslyn kalu so i just kind of wanted to throw a a soft curveball at you first um okay. and sort of a an icebreaker, if you will, and I just want to know what's inspiring you right now. Oh,
1: huh. um, well, you know, the uh, as you know, there's there's so much to not inspire you right now in the in this world, um, and I guess if I had to pick, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, and hopefully I can explain it a little. Um, my kids are really inspiring me right now. Um, you know, the the joke when we were growing up, you know, was like grown up saying ah kids today they don't know you know kids today kids today kids today are incredible um you know like uh my daughters and their friends are these incredibly progressive curious uh take no shit people who you know like I grew up sort of uh of the generation you know like gen gen x like well institutions are going to figure this out and institutions haven't figured things out. And uh, this generation coming up just seemed to have this thing of like, they know the institutions aren't going to uh, figure things out. And they're incredibly motivated and activated in a way that I only wish me and my generation were. So I, I'd say my kids, and even, and even my son, who's a little bit younger, he's 13, you know, like he came to see women talking and. We were talking about something on the playground in middle school and he would, he referenced it in terms of, well, you know, it's like in dad's movie and then explained like it in a way that it had gone in that when I was 13, there's no way I would have understood that or had the capacity to understand it. So, yeah, I think the kids, the kids are inspiring me, all of them. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of work to do. And uh, I kind of feel these kids coming up are going to be able to handle it in a way that me and my generation couldn't necessarily.
0: Mm -hmm. No, I I would definitely agree with that. Um, And maybe this is part of the answer to this question, but why this film and why now? And the more why now, why for you right now?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, Why now for me? You know, I feel like to take it purely in an editing level, I honestly don't think I could have cut this film at any other time in my career or in my life, really. Like, I didn't have enough skill and I didn't have enough smarts and experience. Um, A lot of times when you're working, you're relying on craft you're relying on, um, you know, uh, your experience, your experience in other films. This truly felt like you have to go into a place that is, that you don't even know if you have yet to figure out how to make this story sing, make this film sing. Um, It certainly felt like Sarah was ready to make this film and ready to tell this story, entirely compelled to tell this story. So I think that um, that level of need to tell the story is why it's, sort of very much now and why it sort of went into, I don't think you come into contact with this film either as a viewer or as any of us who worked on it without feeling the necessity of it. That this story that is taking place in a Mennonite colony in the book anyway, in Latin America, is somehow an incredibly vital story for now. Um, So for me, it felt like in order to find the voice of the film, to find the spirit of the film, I needed to be this old and have this much experience because uh, it had to have, it almost had to be not about me at all. And I think when you're a younger artist, you're a younger craftsman, whatever, your ego plays a part. And this truly felt like an ego uh, work from all involved, truthfully.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, what is this, what would you say your education to this or some of the projects beforehand? I mean, obviously you can look at Handmaid's Tale and probably say, oh, hey, he probably could have drawn something from that. But are there particular movies or shows that sort of, I mean, I think on every project, you probably pick up something. Um, Mm -hmm. But was there, were there particular moments in your career that have brought you to this moment? Obviously, as personally, you have to get to this place, but professionally, what do you think some of the projects were that helped inform um, some of the decisions that you made, some of the, the tonality, the, I mean, you name it.
1: Well, I mean, it, uh, I think uh, I could almost go back direct, like sort of work backwards directly. Like the project I did immediately before this was Crimes of the Future uh, by David Korn- the David Kronberg film. And what I learned from David was the work has to be entirely itself. It can't be anything else. It can't be what somebody else wants it to be or what people are afraid it's going to be. You just have to somehow arrive at the purest form of the work uh, and not be worried in any way, shape or form how it's perceived. You want it to be perceived well and understood but you can't compromise uh the work on the way to how it's being received so certainly as we distilled women talking down that idea of this can only be what it is not anything else I I felt like I just learned that lesson in in as pure a form as I as I possibly could um Handmaid's Tale certainly has been an incredible experience and one of the amazing things about that beyond just the aesthetics and and uh the willingness to take chances and obviously a lot of the story circles, you know around trauma so on and so forth the group of people who worked on that the collaborative spirit of the people on handmaids is really extraordinary the amount of respect and uh listening and the attempts to make sure you're following the creative input of everybody involved is, has been, again, truly extraordinary. So applying that to women talking, there would be things where, like a good example would be like uh, Rooney's, Rooney Mara's performances, Ona, where we spent a lot of time shaping the movie around Ona and Rooney rather than shaping Rooney. Like we felt in our hearts, like this performance that Rooney is giving is in some ways the heart of the film. And some of the notes we would get in, you know, rough cuts or whatever is like, oh, it's a bit too beatific, it's a bit this. And Sarah and I felt, no, Rooney has given us the right, we're doing something. And so listening to your collaborators like that in a way, rather than trying to force your sense of some idea of something, um, I feel like that's something I really learned um, in the past uh, th- uh, and was able to apply to this. And then I'll jump right back to Take This Waltz with Sarah, uh, uh, which was the, our first collaboration. And Sarah is such an extraordinary collaborator. She gives you an entire, um, she gives you the universe and she wants you to bring everything you have to it and everything you imagine it can be. And she is not precious about any of her ideas. She is not precious about anything she thought the way it would work. She's super excited by where you take it in ways that surprise her. Uh, And out of that kind of collaboration comes something that when you're finished, it almost doesn't feel like it's anything that either one of you did. And that's something certainly that, like when I watch women talking for a long time, you know, when we were working on it it felt like you're doing this, you're doing this and you're doing this and you, you feel like this sense of authorship is one way to put it. By the end, I look at the film and I honestly, sometimes think, I don't even know what I did on this. Like, this is just something that exists outside of every single person that worked on it and yet is completely full of every single person that worked on it. it it's, it's an incredible thing to aspire to in a collaborative medium. And uh, I felt that both times I've worked with Sarah. And certainly I felt that on Handmaid's Tale and on Crimes of the Future as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And this might be the same answer. or I might already know the answer to this, but so much of what the story is about in terms of um, a collective doing something together. I mean, obviously that is what a film is. That is what this whole project is about but something that I've appreciated seeing just from following what you guys have done so far is that the cast is at every single one of these events, the Mm. um, crew is at every single one of these events. Um, Sarah's at every single one of these events. And why, why do you think that is?
1: I, I, beyond the commitment of, you know the studio and people yeah. to, um but like say we saw each other and sorry right and we were there with uh you know i came down and luke montpellier the bio came down and johnny buckin and jason knight the casting people came down in that instance like luke and i and we came down on our own dime um because i wanted that ex- like i remember seeing you jackson after the screening in the in the um in the, in the uh, lobby. And what I wanted was to be in that room was that film unschooled really for the first time when nobody really knew what to expect. Nobody knew what, uh, how to react. I guess that, that's one way to put it. There was no, no, and so therefore I wanted to be with the audience in its most purest form for lack of a better way to put it. It meant the movie means that much to me that I wanted to experience that moment with the audience. and that's the same with Luke, and that's the same with all the actors. Everybody feels a tremendous amount about the experience of making this film and also being connected to all these other artists who made the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a it's an amazing thing where, it really does feel like a collective it really does feel like an ensemble on every level technically craftsperson you know act performers it's a really extraordinary experience experience and you just you just want to keep it going at all times quite frankly Mm -hmm.
0: yeah no and i mean you guys are all being awarded um in a couple days for your your craftsmanship so that must be Thrilling to get the band back again together in just just a couple days, so. um, Uh,
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. A
0: a great honor there. Um, But I'm curious, in terms of the surprise element, in terms of what surprised you or what surprised Sarah, what, I'll start by asking, what surprised you while editing this film? And then what surprised Sarah when you've showed her whatever draft, whether it be first, second, third, or first cut, um, what mm. what was the thing that surprised you and what was the thing that surprised her?
1: Well, I think, I, I would say the thing that surprised Sarah was um, the novel has the character of August as the narrator that played by Ben Wishaw, and so did the screenplay and so did the film for quite some time. And it, eventually we realized that that actually wasn't working for the film. It worked for the book and it worked for the screenplay, but it wasn't working in the film. So when when I, we were sort of, when I said, um, I think we need to change the narrator and I think it needs to be that girl in the background, oucha, uh, Sarah was, yeah, pretty surprised, but also hugely energized because whenever you're tussling with any kind of work, and it's not necessarily uh, uh, working, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, You're looking for solutions that sometimes they're small, sometimes they're bigger, but in this instance, that was probably the biggest surprise for Sarah when it was, let's change the narrator from who it is in the book and to this other character in the film, which completely opened up the movie in a lot of ways and was the, step that took us to the final film um for me you know it's, uh, what would be the most surprising thing for me um you know i think i think maybe what it would be is you know you work for a very long time and you the movie keeps uh, sort of developing in your hands and he, you're applying all the things you know, all the things you feel, and then eventually, all those same skills stop working. And the movie is basically telling you, leave, leave, t- stop. You know, like stop, stop touching, stop working on this. This is you're you're making it worse. And it's always surprising, and especially in this form, because you think you you're on this incredible creative momentum and it's getting better and it's getting better and it's getting better and, getting better. and then you apply the exact same skill set to something and and it's the movie said basically says stop that's crap and i i wish i knew when to apply one or the other it's like the movie's telling me it's not like i know like oh got to stop it's like the movie tells you stop and um so that is always a surprise because uh you start to feel like it has become its own creature its own being and as much as i think i mentioned this earlier as much as you think you have some authority over it actually you don't
0: (laughs) yeah um and can you talk to me about the beginning and the end of the film which i think are both very powerful and i think also sort of set one sets the tone for what the film is going to be very um very upfront at the beginning which I was shocked because like I think Sarah's surprise I was surprised that the narrator had changed just from reading the book so that was one thing that took me by surprise but I'm just curious how you came to those decisions to um to make the ending the way um it didn't and the way the beginning sort of I feel like one chapter played out in the course of five minutes. So how did you make that decision to, and it, obviously it, maybe it's a, a combo of a bunch of things, but I'm just curious why you decided to have it go that way. Mm. Well,
1: off the, off the top, I would say that the, the scripted opening was a little more, um, was a little less direct. I guess is is the best way to put it. And with August as the narrator, he had to take a slightly different route. I guess that's the best way to describe it. He, August as a narrator could had a level of directness yet he's yet he was the school teacher. And so there were scenes that sort of uh, introduced us to August uh, we we were with August when he found out about what was happening. It, it was more of August's journey to get into the loft, uh, while simultaneously sort of hinting at what happened to these women. Over the course of the edit, we realized that we needed a level. We needed to be direct. We needed to set up um, and get to the loft as soon as possible, as clearly as possible, and so. We took scenes that were used as flashbacks later on, like uh, when Saloma is attacking the men. That was to be a flashback later on, and we said, "No, that's that is that should be a scene." The opening of the film, actually, that shot of uh, Ona lying in bed, I think, is like scene 62. You know, but we felt like, no, that is, you know, the more you're with the film, the more you understand it. You realize, no, that's the beginning of the film. That's the first image of the film. And once we realized that, then each little step led to the next step. You know, like, it, like there's a momentum when an idea falls into place that once we had that image of Ona to start the film waking up, we, that gave such momentum to the, oh, well, then the, this, then the next step is this. And then the next step is this. And then the next step is this until we get to the loft uh the ending um the ending is essentially and by the ending you mean just the final scene as the women are leaving or the image at the very very end of the film with the child Uh,
0: or i would say it's both Both. okay
1: yeah well the 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 in the script the ending was uh that incredible leaving of all the women and then uh some shots that are that playing out earlier in the film which is empty uh kitchens and then august with the boys that was the scripted ending and so once august was no longer the narrator we obviously weren't going to use any of that material but we ended up using it for different purposes throughout the film and then the image of the newborn was actually a part of the list uh that august does as the women are leaving the list of things that are you know, stars and the sun and all that. And that was part of that. And Sarah said, let's move that to the very end. And that became the final image, the rebirth, the the birth of the, you know, the innocence, the colony or whatever. Um, so, uh, and then that line of narration, I had actually, Sarah and I play it, like that final narration line could have been the first line of the film. And we tried it as the first line of the film, but ultimately it felt right as the final, that's the final idea that we're leaving the audience.
0: Mm. And can you talk to me about just the dialogue of this film? I mean, it is obviously very dialogue heavy throughout probably mm-hmm. three quarters of it. And how yeah. do you balance that um, so beautifully in terms of, uh, I mean, like you said, you're, you're putting a lot of it on Rooney's character but I mean, obviously, you're wanting to get all facets of the women. So how how did you really take that script and sort of cut it up so I don't just evenly and perfectly to sort of match each of the character's depths and ranges? Uh,
1: well, I guess you know, ultimately, it's a real distil- distillation. I think that's the best way to describe what we did because it was. It was very important to Sarah that the script be circular, not repetitive, but repetitive was a part of it, you know, that the way that these women would speak, they would bring up points, push them a little bit further, and then let them go, and they would come back, and so that can very quickly feel repetitive, and so the, the tr- the, what we were constantly trying to do was balance this idea that um, each that that the women could bring these things back up, but again, not feel repetitive. And you know, when you're working with performances that we had, it was it became as as the, as the movie got shorter and shorter and shorter it became more and more distilled, the sort of uh, what's the best way to describe it? It's like their the ability of these performers to, sort of mainline who these characters were and and present them completely like the emotions and the experience of these characters so precisely to the audience. There's very little you need to do to explain, augment. You really just have to clear away as much of the clutter or noise around them and just let them exist purely for the audience. So in a lot of cases, you know, you would think with seven characters in a, in every scene, essentially, the important thing would be to make sure you kept seeing seven characters in every scene. And certainly as we, as the edit progressed, we sort of uncut it. We let people stay in long shots. We would only cut to one or two people because those were the one or two people that you really needed to see. So... Ultimately, what we were doing was distilling everything down to as much of an emotional purity as possible. So gradually, you start to realize, oh, I felt that already. So we don't need this. I felt that already. Or we're moving towards this feeling there, so we don't need to feel it here. Um, It was really a matter of distilling is the best word I can use. and you know when you have a Rooney Morrow or a Claire Foy or Jesse Buckley or Sheila McCarthy or Judith Ivey, like all these astonishing actors, you really just uh, you know Sarah gave them such an incredible um, sort of uh, what's the word? Gave them such an incredible stage on which to express these characters and such freedom to express these characters. So it was, you know, it was just an overwhelming abundance of riches in terms of the edit.
0: Mm -hmm. And then can you talk to me about the violence um, against the women and not putting that at the front? You, like you were alluding to earlier, the flashbacks that you get are when they're realizing that something has happened to them. You're not going into these horrific scenes of the action actually taking place so can yeah. you let me know when that decision came into into the fold because it could be something very traumatic um mm-hmm. but i think what's beautiful about it is i mean the one instance that i think there is violence against someone it's the woman hitting the man and you're getting mm-hmm. that whole scene to play out so i'm just curious where that all sort of came to be and where that decision just laid out
1: yeah that was it was sarah's decision at the script level to never uh show any of the acts of violence against the women um you know like she had no interest in showing the acts because it to her the acts we've all seen those more than enough and that was not, she didn't, she had no interest in showing them. So there's no footage of them. We never cut them out. It was in the spirit of the film from the very beginning. And I think that's a part of why, while the film is about trauma and can be very sad and difficult, it doesn't, it's it's very hopeful. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, she's as much interested in love and forgiveness. That's much more important to her. And uh, and so, yeah, so she never wrote them. We never shot them. They were never in any part of the film.
0: And then one aspect that I think just enhances this film so much is Hilder's score. And I just mm-hmm. wanna know um, when that came into the edit process and how you took this, I mean, just this beautiful uh, haunting. Oh yeah piece of, I mean, just masterclass of work and how do you layer that in on top of beautiful cinematography that's already taken place, beautiful um, sound effects, beautiful, I mean, just a screenplay that's just unmatched. Like, how do you add that in too? Well,
1: Hilder, stu- Hilder we were working with Hilder's demos fairly early um, and, you know, Hilder's instinct was not to over- score it and it was certainly our instinct as well that uh the music had to have a very um you know in a a film like this where people are sitting and talking in a room the 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 temptation would be to overscore it I think and it was certainly Hilder's um uh it was her feeling that we should not be doing that at all same with Sarah but you know with 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 somebody Hilda, you just you can't, like, I, the best thing I would think of is the bells. When the trauma, sometimes when we flash to trauma or the, the post-trauma, sorry, excuse me, Hilder instinct was to do these bells. And <laughs> you hear it and you just, you can't believe this is gonna be the music in your movie. It is so incredible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so, we had a couple things like that. That while well, we knew it was going to be the bells, or there was going to be this percussion sound that had attention, and we would apply it where we thought it would go, and Hilder would shape it uh, beyond that. Uh, but really, in a lot of cases, Hilder would give us the music based on where we where it wanted, and it just stayed that way, like if anything the temptation was to overuse it and that was we had to make sure we weren't doing that and then at the end you know hilder thinks of the f- score as an entire body over the course of the entire film and so the the score reaches its full fruition over the end over the the images of the women leaving and after that there's no more room for music we had you know a credit roll at the end and hilder was like there's no the score's done and so again listening to the collaborator who who you're going oh my god she's so much more brilliant than i am and learning from hilder and how she approaches music we really just sort of i've you know on some level we're along from the ride we would say maybe this needs to be a little more emotional or maybe this needs to be a little more tense but for the most part hilder's instincts were so incredible it was just a matter of making sure we were in sync with where they needed to be.
0: Mm-hmm. And then in our final few minutes, um, mm. I just want to sort of ask you sort of a a state of Chris question in terms of you had this film premiere at Telluride, Sarah won a tribute award at Telluride, it went on to TIFF, it went on to New York, it's gone on to many regional festivals, it mm-hmm. is gaining nominations and awards at various, various sort of um, events. And what do you take away from this moment in time? And what do you hope the general public takes away from this once it's fully out in December?
1: What, well, I guess the, the, what I take away from it is that uh an egoless as much as possible egoless collaborative experience creates something that moves people Uh, that's the that that the audience response to the film thus far feels of a piece with the experience of actually making the film that the way it moves an audience is the way it moved through all of us for however many months. And that's that's extraordinarily rare. Um, and what I hope for the film is that people open their heart to it and give it a chance to change them, if only for a little while, you know, like, a, you, you go on Twitter or whatever, and there's lots of dismissive women talking. Sounds great, you know, especially among male film critics, so on and so forth. Uh, not necessarily critics, but male, males, shall we say. Um, but I think that the film contains so much that can move and touch, and I do think change you, and not in no a didactic way, but in a way your heart can see the world, if only for a little while. So, all I hope is that people go and see it with other people. People go and see it with people they love, go and see it with it, with people they think they can talk to about these things. And if it changes them for five minutes, then it's changed the world. And uh, you know, we all get into this with these lofty ideas. of like, well, maybe we'll change the world but you know maybe we'll just change people for a little bit and that to me would be the greatest gift of this film because i think it would continue to do so for as long as people are watching movies like i Mm -hmm. don't sadly i don't necessarily think the conversation changes like like i'm hopeful for a new world as the women in the film are Um, but i think that this film has the ability to if you open your heart to it to uh change your heart a little that's Mm -hmm. that's my hope anyway
0: yeah no i i completely agree and i think it i think that echoes so much of the film in terms of even if their lives don't change significantly in a day a year a month whatever like it's going to change what they did in that particular moment is going to change them in some form or fashion. So I think it's a a sort of a beautiful footnote to to end the Mm. conversation on. Um, Mm. But Chris, this was the biggest pleasure. um, And I thank you so much for um, taking time out of your day to chat with me. Um, You are just one of the nicest individuals I've ever met. And um, I wish you all the success with this film and beyond.
1: Thank you so much, Jackson. It it means the world that you would reach out and, you know, like meeting you on Telluride was really great because I, you know, been seeing your stuff and listening to your stuff. So to meet you was, uh, was, was really exciting for me too, because you just want people like you in the world who just love this and, (laughs) and, and, and that want to, have a different, you know, have that kind of conversation about the work we love. So thank you so much for including me in your
0: podcast. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, talk again someday. Thank you all for listening. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jackson Vickery. Graphics were done by Dylan Michael. And the opening and closing theme were done by Sterling Gavinsky.